0: You're listening to the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. We hope that this podcast is a helpful resource in your daily walk with Christ. Now, here's today's sermon. Matthew chapter 23, verse number 13 is where we're going to start. We're only going to read just a few words here, and then we're going to cover a lot of scripture today. I told uh, Scott and Shannon during Sunday school, as Jeff was teaching, actually, um but I told them that I said, I have nine points to my sermon this morning, and Shannon rolled her eyes. <laughs> but there are that's true, nine points this morning, but we'll we'll get through them really quick. Look at verse number thirteen. Uh, the Bible says this, But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Let's pray, and we'll get into the rest of this here in a moment. I'm going to have my hands out uh, just as a picture of my heart being open to what God has for me. You can do the same if you please. Father, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for these warnings, the woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Lord, if I'm a hypocrite this morning, uh, and I'm sure that there's an area of my life where I am, I pray that you would reveal that to me. Help us to understand the danger and the destruction that comes with hypocrisy. Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. And if somebody is here this morning who does not know you as their Savior, I pray that today would be the day where they see their need for a Savior. They see that they're sick and that they're in need of a doctor. And Jesus Christ is the one who can help them. I just pray that today would be the day where they would trust you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. You ever notice that in the Bible, Jesus doesn't doesn't treat everybody the same? You might say, well, shouldn't we treat everybody the same? If somebody comes to hurt you, are you going to treat them the same as the person who's offered to help you? Well, of course not. And it would be silly for us to think that everybody should be treated the same. Everybody should be treated fairly, but not everybody's going to be treated the same. In fact, when Jesus is, uh, you think about him with uh, the tax collectors, Zacchaeus in particular. Jesus, this is a man who is openly known to be a sinner. He's a man who takes money from people and he would take more than he was required to take and he could keep it for himself. So he was taking from them, taking from poor people to make himself rich. But yet Jesus went into his house and he had dinner with him. He supped with him. He ate with him. Then uh, there's a lady in Samaria. He meets her at the well and she's got got, uh, five husbands. She's had five husbands, but now she's living with a man who's not her husband. And what does Jesus do? He treats her with kindness and compassion. Later, another woman is brought to him. And this is a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. She's caught in sin, open sinner. And Jesus comes and he he defends her and he says, Hey, uh, let you who are standing there with stones ready to stone her, let you who is without sin cast the first stone. And what does he say to her? He says, Go and sin no more. You see, Jesus did not treat everybody the same. Because then we come to scribes and Pharisees, people who at least... We don't know about adultery. People who had, we don't know that they've been married multiple times. People who did all the right things, they they wore the right clothes, went to the right places. They did all these things outwardly and Jesus rebukes them. And Jesus says, hey, he calls them at different times, generation of vipers. He doesn't treat them the same. Why is that? Shouldn't he have said to those Pharisees, "Uh, listen, I know you guys are coming, you're attacking me, but listen, go and sin no more. No, the reason he doesn't do that is because, uh, as he said, the sick are the ones who know that they need a doctor, a physician. But those who don't know that they're sick, or those who, he says, those who aren't sick, they don't need a physician. And he's right. You know, if you're here today and you're not sick with sin, you don't need a physician. But the Bible tells us all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. And so I needed a doctor. I need a doctor continually helping me. And at, at the age of 12, September 17, 1990, I trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. And He, the doctor, He, the physician, made me whole. And He goes along with me the rest all the way through life. And so Jesus did not treat everybody the same. Listen, if you're here today without Christ, and you think, well, I'm okay. We're going to talk about this. The Pharisees convinced people that they were okay. If Jesus Christ has not changed your life, meaning you came to him in repentance and trust, and you trusted him to save you, then you need to be made whole by the great physician, Jesus Christ. In our text today, Jesus rebukes the scribes and Pharisees. There's eight rebukes here. These are known as the eight woes to the Pharisees. Seven of the times he starts with that same phrase that I read to you, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Are you a hypocrite this morning? Because I know that at different times in my life, and maybe even right now, and I'm racking my brain thinking, where is it? Because so I want to get it right. But we, we're hypocrites. You might be here this morning saying, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm living for the Lord. I'm happy. I'm teaching Sunday school. I'm working in Awana. I'm working in Iwana. I'm doing, I'm working nursery, whatever. I'm doing awesome. And deep down, you know that there's sin in your life. You're a hypocrite. You might say, I, I'm here, and I'm acting like everything is okay. We were Andrew and I were talking about this He must be in junior church, or he got mad and left. Uh, We were talking about this uh, last week, that we, there are people who think Christians just walk around acting like everything's okay. You know, everything's not always okay. But through Jesus Christ, it's going to be wonderful. And we as Christians, we, we don't need to come in this building going, hey man, praise the Lord, everything's just going great in my life. We know that people are hurting. We know people are struggling. And it's okay to say, you know what? I'm having, I'm having a tough time. God's been faithful through it. He's going to get me through it. We need to know those things. But it's okay to say, I'm struggling right now. So was Jesus just annoyed at these men because they keep coming after him? Was he reacting to them in anger? Was he, was he personally offended by the things that they were saying? No, Jesus is warning them. And he's warning them about the eternal ramifications for the things that they're doing. Now, when I read the word woe, I I think of it as a warning, like, "woe," like, "woe," don't go there because it's going to be bad. Here's a warning for you. And there's a truth to that. But really, the word, both the English word woe, if you look it up, and the Greek word, auai, both of those words mean sorrow or distress. It means great grief. So Jesus is warning them, but he's not warning them like, hey, judgment's coming. Although he does that, but he's warning them that there is sorrow and grief that is coming. So Jesus is warning them because of their hypocrisy, because of the way that you're acting, there's sorrow and grief coming. So let's start with verse 13. And we're going to cover all eight of these woes this morning. Verse 13 says this, but woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. The the accusations Jesus makes against these Pharisees are serious accusations. He says you're shutting up. Here's woe number one. The woe, woe number one is you're closing the door to the kingdom. People are wanting to go in. Or people maybe are headed in that direction. Maybe somebody told them about the Messiah. They told them that he's here. And the Pharisees are going, no, no, no. Here's what you need to do. You need to continue to keep the law. You need to continue to offer sacrifices. You need to continue to give your tithe. You need to continue to dress a certain way, go to certain places and do certain things. And if you'll do that, everything's going to be okay. And what happens is they shut the door to the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says, not only are you doing that, you're not going in and you're preventing others from going in. They're holding back. Listen, they're holding back the truth of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. They're holding back God's truth. From people. And why? Because they had their own traditions that were more important. I I can't stand, uh, when I've, I, I went to a preacher's meeting one time. It's not the one I go to now, okay? So, Brother Andrew and I, and we go to a preacher's meeting about once a month just for encouragement and fellowship, and it's, it's awesome. Uh, I went to a different one one time, and the preachers, two preachers that day, and it was about the time of the last election, and the two preachers preached more about Donald Trump than they did about Jesus Christ. And and it was in favor of Donald Trump. And whether you're in favor of Donald Trump or not in favor of Donald Trump, I don't really care. But I'm there to hear preaching of the word of God. But people go, oh man, this is the most important thing that's on earth. No, the most important thing here is that we hear the word of God and we get it into our hearts and into our lives. And so in favor of their own traditions, they were holding back the knowledge of God's true revelation. I don't want to get in the way of God's true revelation in your life. I hope and pray that As I preach, Brother Andrew preaches, Brother Brian, whoever preaches in this pulpit, I hope and pray that we're just giving you the word of God that you can bring into your own life. That God will do something great. Look at verse 14. We see woe number two. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. So number two is that they were stealing from the vulnerable. He says, listen, I, you, you're you're, con, you're convincing maybe these these old widows. Maybe they're young widows. But these, these ladies, and maybe their husband's gone, which is what widow means, right? And so their husband's gone, and, and they're like, oh, I'm not sure what's going to happen to my property. I'm not sure how to handle this. How do I go to the city and pay my taxes? How do I handle this this issue and that issue? And they say, hey, listen, here's what you can do. Let's put my name on your deed. Now, this is my This is my imagination, okay? Let me put my name on your deed, and then I will help you with those things. And then they sit and they say a long prayer over them. You know, God, help us. Help her, this this sweet lady. Help her to know that she's doing the right thing and that she's entrusting somebody who's reliable, somebody who can help with and ensure that things go right. And they were stealing from these widows. The most vulnerable of us needs the most protection. If you have small children, you protect them from certain things. And as they grow up, you have to release some of that. Uh, as, as all of my kids now are driving, and Andrew's driving, and there's there's the first time that he drives, it's like, okay, we're going with you. It's the first time he drives by himself, okay, you can run up to Tony's Ace Hardware, or you can go up to Kroger, but That's that's it, you know? But now he drives, and he drives, you know, 20 minutes away, 30 minutes away. Uh, and we have to let go. It's hard, right? And... But we have to let go, and we we can't always keep that control, but the most vulnerable of us need the most protection. But what had happened is those who were supposed to be the shepherds became the wolves. These men who were supposed to stand in front of them and lead them and direct them, guide them, as we're going to see in a moment, those men had become the wolves who were there to steal. Jesus told them there at the end of verse 14 that they would receive the greater damnation. All those who reject salvation, all those who reject Jesus Christ on this earth are going to suffer in eternity if they die without Christ. If you die today without Christ, the Bible teaches us, and this is not a fun thing to talk about, but Jesus, the Bible teaches us that if you die without Jesus Christ, you will spend an eternity in a place of torment called hell. But he says here, those who are the scribes, Pharisees, the hypocrites, he says, you're going to receive the greater damnation. I don't know what that means. I don't know if, that, if, the, if the fire is hotter. I don't know if it's, what it is. But the torment in hell for those who drag those other ones away from the truth, from those who stole from the innocent ones, the Bible tells us. Jesus says here that he's going to face greater damnation or greater punishment in hell. In verse 15, we see woe number three. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he is made, ye, will, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Wait, what does he mean by that? That's a strange statement to make. But woe number three is this, providing false assurance. The scribes and Pharisees were passionate messengers. They worked hard. They were recruiting people to their faith. We could learn something from them, couldn't we? And I think to myself, why is it that that there are people that are willing to get out, knock on doors, tell people at work, be evangelistic in every part of their lives. Why are there some that are like that, yet we're like, eh, once a year I'll go out and hand out flyers for BBS. Um, you know what, Neighbor Day I'll invite people. Hopefully you're doing that. Hopefully you will do that. I, I think Rebecca will, you think we'll have by next Sunday? Okay, maybe, maybe. Okay, yeah. soon we, we have a bunch of... Uh, invitations that you can give to people. And my wife, said, she said, it's really hard if you don't know someone to say, hey, why don't you come to my church and here's the time and here's what's going on. So we're making invitations for you to give out to people that you can just hand them. Say, hey, I'd love for you to join us on this day. We go, why are we so hesitant to tell people about Jesus Christ? Maybe it's because we don't realize the eternal benefits that we're laying up store for ourselves in heaven. We don't realize it. We go, but see, these people, they were like, hey, I get something now. I got a notch in my belt. People are going to go, oh man, that guy, he got another proselyte. He converted someone to the faith that he's a part of. And so they would, they would reach across the sea to reach someone. But they were not seeking to share the message of redemption with the lost and dying world. They were seeking to put notches in their belt for those who would accept their teachings, but not for those who would accept. The glory of God. You see, they were passionate about en- enrolling people, or recruiting someone to their ideas. But when you share the gospel with someone and they accept Christ, you have changed their eternity. Well, you know what? We have uh, we've we've impacted this group, and now they have a home, and now they have clothes, and now they have food, and now they have, great. But what have you told them about their eternity? We have a clothes closet. We we get calls all the time. I got two calls this week looking for food, and I I said, you know, I I refer them to someone who has a food pantry. We don't have that right now. But when we started the clothes closet, I said, let's do it. But if we do it, it has to be with the with the intention and the goal of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if we close someone and we don't tell them about Jesus Christ, what have we done for them eternally? Nothing. So Jesus said, hey, he, he, this guy that you that you recruited, the guy you got to be a part of your faith, he, he says he was already lost, but now he's going to be doubly lost? What does that mean? If you share the gospel with someone, and they have never heard the gospel, they've never thought about eternity, they have no idea of what's going to happen next, you have an opportunity to share with them that here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that when because of our sin, we're all... Worthy of death. We all have, that's what we deserve. But because you share the gospel with someone like that, they may say, Man, I need something. But what happens if you convince someone that because, hey, listen, because you came forward and you prayed a prayer, or because you came and you partook in some ordinance, because you got baptized, because you got sprinkled, because of whatever, because of that, you're okay. Listen, God says that you're going to go to heaven now. Of course, there's no scripture to teach them that. But God, listen, if you will do this, the doctrine of our church says, if you will do this, you will be saved. No, we don't care about the doctrine of our church. We care about the doctrine of the Word of God. And hopefully, the doctrine of our church matches the doctrine of the Word of God. So what happens is somebody gets false assurance, and you try to share the gospel. They say, oh, no, I'm good. I got baptized. I've had that conversation many times. Many of you have, too. Uh, Hey, you know what? If you will trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, hey, you know what? I got baptized. I'm good. I get people all the time. They'll say, hey, um... They'll visit or their kids will come to, on our bus and they'll say, hey, um, we want to have them baptized. Well, we would love to talk about that. But then we share with them the purpose of baptism. And it is not the same. It is an outward picture of what has happened inwardly. So, but what happens when we convince someone with taking verses out of Scripture or simply not using Scripture, that, oh, you're going to be okay because you did this. See, that's, what, that's the true definition of legalism. This action will make you right with God. This is what they were guilty of. Woe number four, verse 16. We've got a few verses here in this one. Woe unto you, ye blind guides, which say, whosoever shall, whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold. And, whatsoever, and whosoever shall swear by the altar, it is nothing. But whosoever sweareth by the gift that is upon it, he is guilty. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gift or the altar that sanctifieth the gift. Whoso therefore shall swear by the altar, sweareth by it, and by all things thereon. And whoso shall swear by the temple, sweareth by it, by him that dwelleth therein. And he that shall swear by heaven, sweareth by the throne of God. And by him that sitteth thereon. So here's woe number four: is they were teaching a convenient doctrine, meaning this works for my what I want. So the scribes and, and the Pharisees, this is the only one, only woe. By the way, where he doesn't say, "Oh, you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites," but instead he starts off with, "Ye blind guides." He calls them blind guides. Who needs a guide? Those that are blind need guides, but he's saying you're the blind guides. You're, the, you're not the guides of the blind, but you're blind and you're being the guides. He Later, or earlier, in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus talked about the Pharisees being the blind leading the blind. The Pharisees would never swear an oath in the name of God because they didn't want to take his name in vain. They took that seriously. That thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So they, they said, well, we're not going to swear and we're not going to take an oath by the name of God. If you stand in court, you say, uh, I, do do swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth." So help you God, whatever it is. I've never actually, I have had to do that as a character witness one time. But you stand there and you say, "Yes, I swear to tell the truth, whole truth, nothing but nothing but the truth." So help me God. Why? Why do they not? Why do they do that? Because when that was implemented, this was a Christian nation, not not Christian to where we. Where the whole nation was supposed to be Christians, but it was a Christian that had biblical principles. And people would take that seriously and say, if I'm going to stand up in front and put my hand on the Bible and say that I so help me God, then I'm going to say it. I'm going to tell the truth. But yet people today, they lie constantly in court to benefit themselves, protect themselves, because they don't care about taking the name of the Lord God in vain. But the Jews, they cared about this. And so they said we, we're not going to we're not going to swear in God's name. In fact, what we're going to do is we're going to swear by the temple. Uh, we're we're going to swear. Who's verse sixteen? whosoever shall swear by the temple? It is nothing. Ah, it's okay if you swear by the temple. It doesn't mean anything. What's the point in an oath if it doesn't mean anything? If there's nothing to say, it's going to be kept. But Jesus said in verse seventeen, "He fools and blind. For whether it is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? Uh, we're going to we're going to." Now tonight I'm going to talk about the gold of the temple uh, coming up in chapter 24. But Jesus says, hey, uh, what what is more important? The gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold. What's more important? The the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering. So here's what Jesus is saying. I'm going to give you my, my synopsis of it. They... They didn't intend to keep their oaths. So, they would swear on the temple, or the gold of the temple. They'd swear on the sacrifice. They'd swear on the altar. They'd swear on these different things with no intention of keeping it. But Jesus said, he says, if you swear on heaven, if you swear on any of those things, it's like you're swearing on heaven and him that sits on the throne there. In other words, as he said in Matthew chapter 5, let your yea be yea, and your nay, be nay. The Pharisees said, I can lie in this instance, but not in this one. Jesus mm-hmm. said, tell the truth. When you speak this, it needs to be the truth. But Pharisees think, it's okay if I deceive someone in this situation. Now, woe number five, verse 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have, committed the, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith, these ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Ye blind guides, which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe number five is this, omitting the weightier matters. Getting things out of balance. Woe number five here, the scribes and Pharisees were diligent, diligent to precisely pay their tithes. They would, they would take their spices and they would maybe have a jar that they knew that here's how much... This is, and if I go down to this line, that's one-tenth. And so they would be very precise and making sure that they tithed out of their little spice garden. They probably never shortchanged God. They were probably always making sure they had at least 10%, and maybe they would even verge on 11%. They were so generous. But Jesus says, you tithe on your spices, but when it comes to the weightier matters, you omitted them. The word omit means to deliberately neglect something. He says, you, you did all these things when people saw you walk into the temple and you had your little jars of spices and you, and you gave those. And Man, look at, look at how great he is. He says, but you, you, you neglected the weightier matters. And they were probably giving their offerings. They were probably giving what they were supposed to. But they knew the law. They knew what was expected. And they only chose to make the small matters important. And the weightier matters they omitted. So what are the weightier matters? Well, he says in verse 23, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have them minted the weightier your matters of the law. Here's what they are. Judgment, mercy, and faith. Judgment. That means justice. Justice is important. Doing the right thing for the oppressed and holding people accountable and holding the oppressor accountable. That's the weightier part of the law. But they were the ones who were stealing from the widows. They were the ones who were deceiving people. But hey, we gave our tithes. I gave my money, I gave my mints, and and the reason I think Jesus talks about those spices is because that's like the smallest thing to tithe on, and they were even faithful in that. But he says, but you, you didn't exercise judgment. Mercy, that's those who have the authority and power to show mercy. They ought to show mercy to someone else. Compassion is the driving force behind mercy, and the scribes and Pharisees were not known for their compassion. Instead, they were known for their hardline approach to their laws. Well, I know that, that may be a nice person, and that person may be trying to do what's right, and that person may be kind and, and loving to their neighbor, but listen, you didn't tithe of your mints or your anise or your cumin. Mercy, those... We ought to show mercy to those who we can show mercy. Faith, there was more to religion than... Then the Pharisees saw they saw only rules and they neglected faith. They would they would reach God through their rule keeping is what they thought. Yet a relationship with God has always been through faith. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Even under the law, even in those days before the law, it's always been about faith. And they had no faith, but they kept the rules. So Jesus says that they're hypocrites. Jesus says that they should have acted on those way to your matters of judgment, mercy, and faith. But yet he also says you should have done the tithing too. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. He says you should do the tithing of your mint and your anise your, and, your and your cumin. But he says you, you can't leave the way to your matters undone. You see, we don't get to pick and choose what, what rules God wants that God wants us to follow. We don't get to pick and choose which ones we're going to follow. We have to follow all of them. We have to obey him in all ways. In verse 24, the Lord brought out the absurdity of their manner of living. He says that he blind guides would strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. What does that mean? Well, a gnat was an unclean thing. And if a gnat got into the water or got into their wine, then they would strain it out. They would use a strainer. They would strain out that gnat. But yet he says you're trying to swallow a camel. Now, I don't think anybody was actually trying to swallow a camel. Okay? I, don't, I don't see anybody like, walking up to a camel going, how am I going to do this? You know? uh, how, do you eat, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, right? So uh, how, do you eat, how do you eat a camel? One bite at a time. But he's saying this is how absurd it is. is that you're straining at a gnat and you're trying to swallow a camel. The gnat was not kosher. It was almost unnoticeable, but they would strain at it. That's how unbalanced their lives were. That's how unbalanced their expectations were for everybody else. Woe well, number six, look at verse 25. Woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter that the outside of them may be clean also. So this one is cleaning out the cleaning out the outside or cleaning only the outside. Woe well, number six, the Pharisees were, concerned only with the outside presentation. The, we talked last week about the, uh, last Sunday evening how they broadened their phylacteries. Say, what are phylacteries? We'll go back and listen to it. They enlarged the borders of their garments. They, they made themselves look more spiritual, but they, they only cleaned what could be seen by man. And I said this last Sunday evening. Why do something if nobody's going to see it? All right? This is the argument my wife and I have. Why make the bed? <laughs> nobody's coming over. She is religious to make that bed every morning. And if I, I do it, if I'm the last one out of bed, I make the bed um, because it makes my wife happy. But if, if, if I was still single, I, that bed would not get made and I would change those sheets. That's the only time it would get made. Um, why? Nobody's going to see it. But that's how people live their Christian life. Nah, nobody's going to see it, so it's okay. Uh, oh, but i gotta, I got to dress up today. It's church day. Whereas yesterday... Uh, nobody cared. I can do whatever I want. I can go where I want. I can do what I want. But today's church. i got to dress up. i got to look the part. And that's what the Pharisees had as their attitude. Jesus does not count them as lost causes, but he tells them how to solve their problem with their woe. He says there, he says, clean the inside. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. You know, if you you had a a glass at home, you could could take that. You could take your little scrubbing sponge or whatever you use dishwasher. But if you were doing it by hand, you you could scrub that outside. But it's a little bit more difficult to scrub the inside without the outside getting the water on it and getting the soap on it. You see, what happens is many of us we want to cleanse the outside. We want to come into church, make sure our tie is straight, make sure everything uh, is looks just right, and we say, "Okay, my shoes are polished, my." My clothes are ironed and I look, I look presentable to church and so people will see how much I care about the Lord. Yet inside, you didn't prepare for this morning. You didn't pray about today. You didn't cleanse your heart before you came today. You really came because you were worried, You want to make sure you look good and everybody notices you. You see, we have to cleanse the inside. And that will come out. When the inside is cleansed, the outside will follow suit. They had responded. If they had responded to the revelation, the Lord had given them, He would have given them more. You see, He gave them a little dose here. He says, "Look, if you got, you got to cleanse the inside." Now we know that the Holy Spirit has to do the cleansing, but you got to allow the Holy Spirit into your life. You've got to be willing to let the Holy Spirit change you. And if they would have said, "You know what? Hold on, right there," after Woe number six, I'd like to know more about that. How can that happen? I believe God, Jesus, would have given them the revelation that they needed. Verse twenty-seven. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto the whited sepul- sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all, unclean- un- all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto the men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. So, woe number seven is this, you're dead on the inside. To avoid becoming unclean, during, uh, especially during... Uh, holy days and things like that, the Jews would mark the graves and they couldn't touch anything dead. And so that had, that had grown to becoming, they couldn't touch the graves or or step on the graves or anything. So they would take and they would whitewash the stones with a line, some type of a a line concoction. And they would see that and it would be white and beautiful. It would be, it would look like it's clean and sparkly, but we know it wasn't. We know it was still unclean. And this is what the Pharisees had become. They had just become a, a shell of dead bones. They were whitewashed by the chalk, but what happened, as soon as the rain comes, the whitewash is gone. And what is true is revealed. Verse 29. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because ye build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous and say, if we had been in the days of our fathers. We would have, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, ye be witnesses unto yourselves, that ye are of the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up, then, the measure of your fathers. Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send... Unto you, prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them ye shall scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteousness, righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Bar- Barachias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Woe number eight is destroying God's messengers. These scribes and Pharisees, they would honor the tombs. They would go to the prophet of Zechariah. They would go to the prophet of, of, of Ezekiel. They'd go to these tombs and they would honor them. And they would, they would maybe clean those up. And they would make them look nice and put flowers there or whatever they did. And they said, if we had been alive, we would have not have partaken in killing these prophets. We see the error of our fathers, but we would not have done that. We would have listened to their warnings but Jesus says, You are the children of those that murdered the prophets. He's not condemning them because of their lineage, but because of their actions. Their actions identified them as the sons of those murderers. They were just like those murderers. They were just like their fathers, attempting to destroy the messengers of God. And they're like, No, no, we haven't. You know, we are the messengers of God. We us and the chief priests and, and we we stand by him, and we would never have done that. But Jesus says, Yeah, you, you would and you will. You have and you will. John the Baptist was, was one. Jesus would be another. And then over the next century, there would be hundreds of believers who were sharing their faith who would die. And by the way, not just then, but it continues even to this day in certain parts of the world. And he says, it's going to happen and you're going to continue. The book of Acts records many of those, many who later they were known as Christians, not during the Gospels, they're not known as Christians, but they were Christians. And and they were destroyed, they were killed by those people that he's talking to and by that type of person. Jesus says, you measure up to your fathers. And because of that, he says, how can you escape the damnation of hell? You see, he said, well, all I need to do is be saved. If I'm saved, that's all that matters. None of my actions matter. Your actions are proof of who you are. And your actions will never save you but if you're saved, your actions are going to follow that. And you're going to want to do those things. And you're going to get tempted. And you're going to fall. And the Holy Spirit's going to convict you. And you're going to repent. And you're going to wish you would never done that. But yet so many people think we can live however we want. And God's obligated to take me to heaven. He says, no, listen. If, if you're truly on your way to heaven, you're going to be different. Look at verse 36. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation... O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto unto you desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. You remember, wait, we already passed that. He's already come in. They've already said, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So what's he saying? Well, Jesus has a knowledge, of course. He laments over Jerusalem and he has a knowledge of the things that are to come. And he declares what things would come to pass in that age. And they did. The persecutions of, of saints and he, he, that continued and continued for hundreds of years. What greater hypocrite is the one that claims to know God but destroys God's people? Now, in case we begin to think that these scribes and Pharisees, that Jesus hated them and, and he, he, he would have nothing to do with them and he, he just wanted them to die and go to hell. If that's what we think, then why is he lamenting over the city of Jerusalem? If, if I said to you, I said, Washington has said, or uh, Tokyo has said, or the Kremlin has said, or, and I give you a city name or something like the capital... You would you'd know that I'm talking about Washington, I'm talking about the United States. Uh, Tokyo, I'm talking about Japan. Beijing, I'm talking about China. Beijing has come out and said this. You know I'm talking about the whole nation. What Jesus is saying, that this is the capital city, this is the city, this is the base of, especially the religious part of the, of the nation of Israel, was here in Jerusalem. And he says, listen, he's lamenting over Jerusalem because he is lamenting over the people of Israel. Luke's account tells us that Jesus wept over the city when he saw this, or when he said this. He, he walks out, and we're going to see in the next chapter, he, he walks out into the Mount of Olives, and, and he right before that he does that, he weeps over the city. Jesus rebukes them plainly and strongly, yet he longed for these people. Jesus said, as a hen tries to gather her chicks to protect them, to bring them together, to... To, to bring them close to her. He says, I've been trying to do that with you. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the scribes and Pharisees. I, I, I love you. And you go, but those are wicked people. But Jesus, these, the wicked people thought that what the common people needed was more rules to follow. And Jesus, he's telling them, no, you're following those rules, but you don't have faith. You are people who are pretending to be religious, yet you're so far from me. Like the, like the elder son of the, of the, uh, in, the, in the story of the prodigal son. He acts religious, he does all the right things, yet he was so far from his father. And so Jesus said, I've been trying to bring you together. I've been trying to bring you Jewish people together. Even you scribes and Pharisees, but you would not. You rejected it. You said, no, we don't want to. But verse 38 says, behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Jerusalem would be destroyed by their rejection of the authentic Messiah. I'm going to talk about that a little bit in the beginning of tonight's message. He was the one that they had waited for, but when he came, he wasn't the one they wanted. It's not the Savior they wanted. He's not. He came into the city, he's going to be beaten, he's going to be killed. That's obviously not the Messiah, because the Messiah is going to come in and he's going to be majestic and he's going to save us from these Roman people. That's what they thought. And they had rejected all the scriptures, all the prophecies that said he's going to come humbly. He's going to come in the little town of Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Th- these are the things that they rejected and said, no, 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 my, my Messiah, he's going, to, he's going to be great. And he is going to come in and he's going to save us. And they were looking for a temporary salvation. You see, that's what I talked about earlier. People are looking. Uh, how can we help them temporarily? It's okay to help people temporarily. And it's a good thing with the goal of being able to share the gospel to help their eternity. Jesus didn't come. To save them from Rome, he came to save them from themselves and save them from their own sin and the penalty that comes with their sin. So what shall we do? There's coming a day when the Lord's going to come to this earth a second time. We'll talk about that tonight. Jesus is going to be welcomed by the Jews. When does that happen? Well, that happens when God's done with the Gentiles. See, what had to happen here is for centuries, God had focused on the Jewish people. They, other people could be saved. We saw it with Ruth. Um, there, there's different people as you go through. Rahab, there's different people that you go through and you see that they were saved. Okay? And it, it was different, right? They, they weren't believing that Jesus died and rose again. But they believed God and accounted to them for righteousness. And so there were people that were saved that were not Jewish. But for the most part, he had favored the Jews. He had given them the opportunity to say, to be saved. But we're going to see as we get into this book and then eventually when we go into the book of Acts that he turned his attention from the Jewish people to the Gentiles. That's what we call the church age. We're in that age still and God is focused. He, he loves the Jewish people. They're still his chosen people. But God has focused his attention and his favor on you and I as Gentiles. Maybe you're Jewish here, but he's still, that is still available to all of us. But there's going to come a day... Tribulation period, where he's going to turn his focus back to the Jewish people. And some of them are going to see, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And he's, that's the next time that they're going to see him. We'll, we'll, we'll continue this tonight, but if you're here today, and there's never been a point in your life where you realize that you're a sinner... And you said, I'm just letting go of all my attempts to be good, all my attempts to be who I think God wants me to be. And you simply say, I can't do it on my own. I cannot be saved. I cannot get there because I'm a sinner. The Bible tells me all of sin and control short of the glory of God. And the Bible tells me that the wages of the penalty for my sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you will accept that gift, if you will trust him today, he promises he will save you. Thank you for joining us today on the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about First Baptist Church, visit us online at fbchazelpark.com.